dinosaurs and a man. Two species separated by 65 million years of evolution. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. My, it's nice to be talking about this again. Uh, yes, I am back for episode two, six months late, of um, Fossil Fic, where we cover the, in my opinion, very interesting topic of paleofiction and the weirdness involved therein, and the general schlocky nature of many interpretations. Yeah, this was intended to be a much more regular series, obviously, uh, but life happened, and life sometimes gets in the way of uh, everything else, and uh, yeah... Between work and the wonderful world of quarantine and everything else, it's been a bit uh, up and down for me, shall we say. But anyway, the uh, the groundwork, the ground plan, the plan work for the podcast going forward is that I am aiming to record at least four or five episodes in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> you should have a decent stream of episodes going out there for a few weeks or months. Um, the, the, the advantage of my show is that I was never planning to do a lot of episodes per month, so you could say I'm only a few episodes behind. You could say that. But anyway, as you can tell by the title, we are not doing Age of Reptiles for this returning episode. Um, that was the plan, of course. Uh, Age of Reptiles is one of the most discussable pieces of paleofiction ever created. But uh, I thought it might be nice to cover something that popped up because I was Google searching um, and looking into sharks. Uh, specifically, of course, the old classic Megalodon, because there's been some reclassification stuff over the last few years I wasn't aware of. And I thought I'd check it out. And that, of course, got me thinking on the portrayal of Megalodon in film and portrayal of Megalodon in literature. And it sort of pinned me down on the most successful Meg series there is. The Meg series by Steve Alton. We'll look a bit at the background. We'll see if we can find any interesting bits of trivia and tidbits. And yeah, then we'll sort of give an overview of what the Meg series is. And... Uh, yeah, why it very much, unlike Primal, falls into the realm of bad, bad good. So bad it's good. It's quite bad. In the modern world, where the term Megalodon is synonymous to just about everyone with a shark big enough to beat a T-Rex and steal its lunch money, um, it's hard to imagine that in the late 90s, the idea of the Megalodon really hadn't taken off in the popular public. Uh, of course, it, you know, it fascinated paleontological enthusiasts since the day someone pulled a giant tooth out of the ground and said, holy crap, this is from something that was alive. But it wasn't making an impact in the wider world, um, especially in the late 90s, as shark attack fiction was starting to undergo a bit of a decline. Um, a lot of publicity had moved on to the fact that sharks 
very rarely attack people. Of the ones that do, there's only about four species. Of those, almost no attacks are fatal, and you have more of a chance of dying and falling off a ladder. Uh, yet we don't encourage people to go out and harpoon their ladders. Maybe they should. Um, or chop ladders into bits and serve, uh, serve it as a soup. But, um... You know, in reality, we were becoming much more aware of the fact that sharks are in far more danger from us than we are for them, or we are from them, rather. Um, to the point where the author of Jaws, uh, Peter Benchel, I believe his name was, you know, became a well-renowned and very well-respected um, shark conservation enthusiast and expert. And he ran a, he ran a charity. Um, and he said, he, he said once later in his life that if he could take back the one thing he's ever done in his life, he would take back Jaws. He would never have done Jaws because he became utterly enthralled with sharks. And sadly, Jaws, love it or loathe it, uh, was directly responsible for a suite of socially acceptable shark killings in the 70s and 80s. Whether it was the book or the uh, the movie, people were scared of them. And you could make, uh, you know, you could make a very public argument that these things were dangerous. So, in the 90s, as we were becoming a lot more aware of the fact that animals are animals, not monsters, um, shark fiction was dying off. Um, but it got a bit of a spike in the arm from a book by Steve Alton. So, Steve Alton, he was a sports degree major who had seen Jaws when he was a very young child and fell in, fell in love with the idea of shark attacks. He loved sharks. He loved, he loved the drama of it all. Um, and apparently he went out and he checked up every single account he could find on sharks and what they do and became relatively knowledgeable. And then he stumbled upon the idea of the Megalodon, this, uh, gigantic whale-sized shark that used to roam the oceans. And his attitude was, oh my god, that's amazing. Where do I find a book about this? I want to read a book where a Megalodon goes out and kills people. And, and, and they didn't. No one had one done. No one had written one. Um, so he spent four years uh, writing one himself. He didn't expect it to be a big success. He just thought it would be a fun little romp, bit of bit of sci-fi schlock. Maybe it would get published. Maybe it wouldn't. But yeah. Also, at the time, he wasn't doing very well personally. So he thought maybe if I get a bit of book money in, that won't be too bad. Um. And yeah, it blew up in a way I don't think anyone could have predicted. Uh, he ended up making what bestseller lists in twenty countries, uh, including nineteen in New York New York Times bestseller list, and uh, actually was higher in the audiobook list. And and yeah, uh, from there it was one success after another, and it turned into a very very successful sci-fi franchise. Um, currently, the Meg series is sitting at one, two, three, four, five books. Uh, with another one, Meg Purgatory, uh, due to come out. Unfortunately, Steve Alton is currently ill with Parkinson's, so, um, I think this might be the end of the road for Meg, but who knows. Um, it also tied in a bunch of, uh, other books, uh, of his, the, that were called the Lock series, which were originally standalone, but then it tied into the Meg series and created, like, a, a multiple, a multiple book universe. And then there was another one where a Sharkman, uh, was included a man who had mutated 
into a shark man. These books, I don't know if you could say they were responsible for, but they certainly encouraged the, the, the resurrection of shark fiction. Stuff like Meg or Deep Blue Sea as well at the same time, which was a sleeper success. No one really expected it to be as popular as it was. Um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Deep Blue Sea is about a bunch of giant genetically engineered mako sharks that are super intelligent who want to escape the place they were being held so they could escape into the wild and apparently be much, much worse than everything else because they can count and do algebra. But the Meg series really normalized the idea of Megalodon specifically. Uh, and it was taken up by a lot of particularly B-movie enthusiasts. Um, so Sci-Fi Channel has more Megalodon movies than I ever cared to imagine. Uh, the Giant Shark versus series. Uh, is of course my favorite, or is it Mega Shark? One of the two of them. There's a ton, like too many to name at the moment. Uh, Book-wise, it exploded. It absolutely exploded. I, I can see why it holds the fascination it does. The idea, not only of this animal that's very familiar, but very different, existing in the modern day, in a world where we're not comfortable with a predator that size is is engaging and and i i've read the meg books and i think they're enjoyable schlock as we will see but i mean it's not the it's not the smartest piece of writing i've ever seen and unfortunately uh not much megalodon fiction is very good actually the meg franchise is one of the better ones in fact i'd probably say it's the best one like most of the films are largely enjoyably terrible um Ironically, probably the best Megalodon movie is The Meg that came out in 2018. The long-in-development-hell uh, adaptation of Alton's books starring Jason Statham as a research scientist Jonas Taylor. It's not an accurate uh, depiction of what goes on in the books, but it is a popular one and it made... 500 and something million at the box office. It's already on the works for a sequel. Apparently Steve Alton loves it. That's a bit of the history on the books. That's where they are. They are schlock. What kind of schlock are they? So getting into the first book primarily, you have to realize there are two editions. Um, most of what I'm referencing is the uh, original version, shall we say. Uh, there is a revised version that came out in 2015 where Alton corrected a lot of the more ludicrous, well, and that's saying something for this series, the more ludicrous elements of the fiction. Uh, for instance, the original prologue for the novel opened with a flashback to the Cretaceous period where Tyrannosaurus is standing into the ocean and somehow gets eaten by a megalodon, a species that didn't show up until, what was it, 20 million years ago, I want to say? Was I talking hyper? 23 million years ago. Uh... And disappeared 3.6 million years ago, so unlikely to have really interacted with Tyrannosaurus on any real level. Um, in the 2015 edition, that's revised into a dramatic slideshow that Jonas Taylor, the main character, a paleontologist and marine biologist, is doing for a pre presentation of Megalodon. He just wants it to look cool. Um, so the, the broad story is that Jonas is deep diving in the Mariana Trench with the U.S. Navy. Um, he's doing science, he's doing research... Um, and for, for some god-awful reason, the U.S. Navy is paying him to confirm that Megalodon is real and still exists. Um, 
and would be at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. It's a it's a long shot, shall we say. Uh, turns out that was a very accurate long shot. As a Megalodon passes by his submarine as he's in it, he has a real big breakdown and retreats to the surface. And unfortunately, in his uh, returning to the surface, he accidentally gets a few people killed. The Navy doesn't believe him. They think he's crazy, and his career is from the toilet. Um... He becomes absolutely obsessed with proving that what he saw was real, that he saw a Megalodon. Um, he breaks up with his wife, uh, he loses contact with his family. Um, he, he eventually uh, is offered a chance by a friend to go down to Mariana Trench and do a bit of investigating because his friend Tanaka lost a submarine during some research. Uh, and yeah, they... He doesn't believe the Meg is there, but Jonas says, Oh, I'm going to go because I can prove it's real. They go down, um, and it turns out that a Megalodon appears. A male Megalodon shows up and tries to kill them all. It kills Tanaka's son. Um, It gets caught up in steel cables from their submarine, um, and they start accidentally dragging it to the surface. Um, Now, this is when it's introduced that the Megalodons are trapped in the Marianas Trench because of a cold layer of water that is preventing them from passing because they have become uh, very low metabolism animals, um, primarily cold-blooded. So they can't pass through such a cold uh, section of water because the Marianas Trench in this area is uh, heated. The sharks can't usually pass through. when they take the sub through, it accidentally sort of pushes a hole through all of this. As they're rising with this male megalodon trapped in the cables, a female shows up. She's much, much bigger, and she starts trying to eat the male. Uh, she starts tearing apart. His blood is warm enough to protect her from this cold water layer as they rise up. So now she is free. She is the first megalodon in millions of years to re-enter the ocean system. And she goes on a killing spree. She kills everything from humans to whales to fish to sharks to you name it, it's dead. Um, Takes on a helicopter at one point because Jonas is obsessed with her again and is now uh, trying to track her. There's that wonderful idea that this single shark is going to destroy the Earth's ecosystem. Um, They realize that she's nocturnal um, and they eventually um, also realize she's pregnant. These sharks are capable of both sexual and asexual reproduction. If she's capable of asexual reproduction, she could have babies. Those babies could go on to cause untold havoc. And obviously that's a bad thing. Um, The shark gives birth. um, But they manage to use a whale to attract her into um, sort of shallow waters. They try to cage her. Doesn't really go very well. The shark ends up eating Jonas's new love interest. Eventually she attacks a whale watching boat and they manage to tranquilize her. And the plan is, the plan is, after tranquilizing her, uh, Jonas's bosses and his love interest's actual lover uh, decide they want to kill the shark with a depth charge. <laughs> um, because that seems like such a good idea. Turns out it just woke her up. She goes absolutely bananas and slaughters everyone within a hundred mile radius, including the people who tried to kill her. Um, Jonas eventually drives a submarine down her throat into her stomach and uses the hydrogen in the sub to blow her up from the inside out. 
Only one of the Megalodon pups survives to this point in the book, and that pup is captured and taken to a marine research facility because people obviously want to know about what's going on with these animals. And that sets up the rest of the books. Uh, the rest of the books, uh, not exclusively, but largely focus on that pup. Uh, who grows up to be Angel, the biggest female Megalodon in the world. Um, she is a very nasty-tempered individual who serves as kind of a... She's the main threat for the next book, Meg Primal Waters, but beyond this, she is largely an anti-villain until she's finally killed in, I believe it is, Night Stalkers? What is she killed by? She's killed by a hundred-ton Lyoplorodon. You see, as these books went on, the nature of the story expanded dramatically. And it turns out there is an entire primordial sea, uh, not in the Marianas Trench, under the crust of the ocean floor. And places like the Marianas Trench serve as exit points. And this primordial world is populated by dozens of species that retreated during various extinction and ice age events. Um, According to this book, uh, the sharks eventually retreated from the main ocean uh, around 10,000 years ago, uh, during the last ice age. Um, and yes, uh, you've got Liplorodon, you've got Ichthyosaurs, Titanoboa, somehow, uh, Leviathan, the Leviathan whale, the, the very big uh, whale-eating sperm whale is down there, and of course Megalodon. And yes, uh, after this, Jonas would go on a series of adventures, identifying, tracking, learning about Megalodon. Some he likes, some he hates. His son takes it up at one point and develops a kind of weird affection for me uh, for Angel's daughters. Uh, Jonas is very defensive of Angel for a while, but eventually she crosses a line by murdering too many people, and he just is willing to put her down, but she ultimately ends up saving him anyway because she wants to pick a fight with everything, including a live Lord on. Um, and yeah, the, the, the books always end with the realization that the Megalodons are not going away. Their world is not going away. And yeah, so that's kind of an overview of the books. That is the Meg franchise. So before I talk about whether I think these books are good or bad or indifferent, obviously we must talk about the science. How is paleontology represented in these books? It's a it's a it's a mixed bag would be <laughs> would be the fairest way of saying it. Um, these books are weirdly well researched at times. Um, Alton is very familiar with at least some of the base concepts of evolution, and unlike a lot of paleofiction, he has taken the time to show that these animals have changed. Uh, none of these megalodons are like what they were when they were living uh, in the surface or in warmer waters. None of these animals are like that. I mean, obviously, the first edition of the book where he had one kill a Tyrannosaurus rex was wrong. Um, but as I said in the revised edition, he changed this. But the sharks themselves, they've evolved to some degree. Obviously, continuity is kind of an iffy thing in a book series that evolved from a bunch of sharks living in the Marianas Trench to an entire ecosystem underneath the crust of the earth. 
But no, you no no. None of these animals are accurate. Uh, Megalodon, uh, for reference, it is a, a kind of an interesting taxonomic history. Originally, it was called Cacarodon Megalodon because it was assumed to be um, a very close relative of the great white shark. Also, kind of interesting to have a, a, a taxa, not a, an extinct taxa, known more by its species name than its generic name. Um, but, uh, yeah, since then it's had one, two, three, four different reclassifications. No one's really sure what it is anymore. Um, what, whether it's related to Great Whites, whether it's not related to Great Whites. Because of these films, there is a, a growing subset of people who seem to think it's still out there. So, first of all, size. Uh, Megalodon in the books is about 80 foot long. Uh, I think, an- yeah, Angel's about 80 feet long. Um, in comparison, this is about more than twice the size of the real shark. Estimates for the size of Megalodon are variable. Some of the larger estimates put it over 50 feet. Some of the more conservative ones put it at around 34. Interestingly, 34 feet. That's a very big shark that is bigger than the biggest great white out there. Not the biggest shark we have in the world today. Uh, That is the whale shark, which regularly hits 40 foot in large individuals, and the very, very biggest was 62 feet long. Um, so even the very biggest estimates of lengths for megalodons um, is is less than um, an existing whale shark. Whatever about length, their weight estimates put uh, the megalodon at well above a whale shark. Whale sharks come in at about 10 tons for a large animal. Um, depending on who you're talking to, the weight of a megalodon can go anywhere between... 12 and a half to 30 tons for smaller males and uh, 27 to 60 tons for females but considerably smaller than the gigantic monster of a thing in the meg books um, when you get into the other animals it becomes even more nonsense uh, the liopleurodon is something like five times the size of the real animal and it has gills and when it comes to behavior and everything else obviously it's completely exaggerated these sharks seem to kill largely just because they're feeling like being a jerk. They have that wonderful thing of seafood kill food, whereas sharks are not super aggressive predators in general. They hunt, they kill, they eat, and then they can go some time without eating again. Uh, Even the warm-blooded sharks, like the great white, um, it's a regular predator, but it's not a, a mindless killer. Once it's full of food, it's quite happy. There's also the fact that uh, these sharks were surface-dwelling sharks. They would have lived in the upper columns of water, uh, where their prey whales would have frequented. And they likely were not designed to go down as deep as the Marianas Trench, let alone into a subsurface layer. Um, I think I read one estimate that said they would have done about 1,200 meters in a dive if they were very, very lucky. Um, Whereas I think the Marianas Trench is over 10,000 meters. Don't quote me on that. So ultimately, no, no, there is no paleontology in this. Um, unlike Primal, I'm harder on it as well because it has a lot of fake science and it has done something that I wish more paleofiction did, which was have the idea that these animals have evolved and changed. Like, the gills are utterly ridiculous. But that was at least thinking that an animal that, you know, breeds air would need to have evolved some method of absorbing oxygen on the water. It is possible for uh, an animal to do that, by the way. Turtles, some turtles have developed a way of actually absorbing oxygen through your skin. And I do like some of the changes he put in. Um, They're albinos because they don't have a lot of light down there. Uh, 
they're albinos because apart from some bioluminescent stuff, they don't have light. They are bioluminescent themselves to draw in prey. Um, when they go back into the main ocean, they don't actually uh, go above the surface of the water in the daylight because their eyes are so adjusted to working in a low-light environment that they absorb too much light and it kills their eyes, basically, when they see the sun. So they will only surface at night. Um, the asexuality makes sense to me, actually, if you're going to... Again, if you're going to use fake, 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 science fiction science... An animal that would no doubt have retreated in small numbers would benefit from being able to reproduce sexually and asexually. And there's a lot more. Like, this book actually spends a lot of time on the idea of explaining these animals' biology. Um, there's even one weird thing where they're being chased by a leviathan whale, who I believe is called Brutus. And there's a weird squid manta ray thing that they pause and spend a page or so? Or is it a paragraph? Um... Describing its biology and how interesting it is what it does before the whale shows up again and they have to leave this and they never talk about these weird animals again. commentary. To compare it to my first one with a primal, I found primal pulpy rather than schlocky, but I was very complimentary of it. I loved what it was doing. It's not trying to be realistic in the slightest, but I love what it does. How do I feel about this as a piece of medium, and do I think that you should pick up the at least some of the books from the series? I am less forgiving when a book clearly has research done for it, and then puts in purposeful errors. It, it's a bugbear. I will let a lot go for entertainment. One day, of course, I will discuss the Jurassic movies. And while I have no problem with the inaccuracies in them. But uh, I, uh, I do have kind of an issue when something just goes out of its way to make something ridiculous. Because I find the animals fascinating and interesting as they are. You want to make them super intelligent? Make them super intelligent. But make me feel like they're a real animal. Not a monster from a monster movie. That said, these books are bad. These books are quite bad. Uh, Alton's writing in the first book is not very engaging. It gets better as it goes on. It does get a lot better. And he becomes a lot more of an ideas man. Uh, when he went into the pure fantastical realm, his writing became a lot better. Because I think he was, he'd was he finally discovered who he was going to be as a writer. But uh, th th his books are still bad. That said, they're the kind of bad I like reading. And they're the kind of bad you will enjoy. They are, uh, you know, they're Jaws. They're The Beast by Peter Benchley, where a giant squid uh, kills a bunch of whales, I believe, before being eventually murdered by their mother. Um, and it's no coincidence that in structure and everything else, all these films that have come out ever since about Megalodon or rip-off ones about giant whales or Loch Ness Monsters or giant fish or whatever, all follow a very similar format to the Meg series because it works. It works as entertaining, turn-your-brain-off nonsense. I think this is fun. <laughs> I think these are dumb, goofy stories that are objectively bad, at times objectively terrible but are so aware of what they are and what they're trying to be, you cannot help but be endeared. Kind of like the Meg movie, which is quite terrible. 
but is just so unapologetic about it, you can't help but smile. Like the very idea of a Jason Statham film where he's a scientist that stabs the shark in the eye is just lovely. If you want that ridiculous dumb fun, please read the Meg series. Alright guys, thank you for tuning in to episode 2 of Fossil Fic. Uh, we will be back with the next episode in the not too distant future. Uh, Age of Reptiles is still coming, um, but I think I will leave it up in the air as to what the topic for the next episode will be. If you have any feedback, uh, I would love to hear it. Um, the email address is fossilfic at gmail.com. I actually did get some feedback on episode 1, um, which was lovely. Um, some very kind feedback. I particularly like how one of the comments was that they enjoyed the show. Really hope to have uh, another one soon. Uh, this was sent in February. <laughs> and um, I'd gotten them watching uh, Primal. So I consider that a big win. Anyway, guys, any suggestions for movies, books, TV shows, radio dramas? I'll take anything, really. Uh, to do with paleontology, pale or extinct fauna in any way, shape, or form. And yeah, thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.